I want to talk to you about the impossible dream for a few minutes. Job asked the question that man for centuries has been asking, if a man die, shall he live again? A telegram delivery boy pedaled his bicycle up the hill to a small British cottage. A tired-looking woman was working in the garden. The boy handed her the envelope edged in black, the message that her son had been killed in battle. Uneasily, the boy waited, then asked, Do you have an answer? With a broken voice, the woman said, There is no answer. Were it not for Easter Sunday, there would be no answer to the question of death. If you ask the philosopher the question Job asked, he would say, there is no answer. If you ask the religious leaders who reject the word of God, they say, there is no answer. But ask Jesus Christ the question, and he says, because I live, you shall live also. He did not cry from that cross. I am finished. He cried, it is finished. And my friends, there's a big difference in those two statements. The impossible dream has come true. And we sing it with joy. And we preach it with power. He's alive. And he's alive forevermore. And because he's alive, we can be alive forevermore. There are three aspects to my message on this Easter day. First, the impossible dream and the soldiers. You will notice in Matthew 28, in the verses after what we read, 11 through 15, that the elders brought the soldiers together and in verse 12 says, gave them a large sum of money. The reason being, they wanted the soldiers to lie about what happened. And in verse 15 it says, so they took the money and did as they were instructed. Can you imagine how much money was involved in this whole scheme? Judas got money for the betrayal. Now they bribe soldiers with more money, a large sum, it says, in order that the truth may not get out. Now let us suppose that these soldiers come before a judge, a jury, in a trial of justice. It would be an interesting experience. The attorney asks, you soldiers confess that you were asleep. Now, for soldiers to be asleep while on guard is a serious violation of their duty and, of course, severe penalties attached therewith. They would hardly dare say in a court, you're right, sir, we were asleep. Then the attorney might say to them, you say you saw the disciples come up and steal his body, right? Now, how could you see them steal his body if you were asleep? Wouldn't that be interesting? I'd like to be a part of that trial. 
Then the attorney could say, you all slept at the same time? Now, maybe I could accept the fact that some would sleep on duty, but to have all of you asleep at the same time, surely not all of you at the same time. Then I could hear the attorney further question, you were armed and did not resist the stealing of his body? Just think of guards permitting unarmed men to get by with theft, particularly theft like that. Then the attorney would say, if you failed in your duty, why not go and get the body back? It's interesting they didn't pursue, isn't it? They were the Roman legion. They had all the armor, the strength, the authority. They could have found those disciples. But they made no effort at all, if you follow their story, to go and get that body back that had been stolen. Then the attorney could say, I understand that his grave clothes were left in the tomb. How do you account for that if, as you say, his body was stolen? Wouldn't you like to ask them that question? How did that happen? And then they might have this question posed to them. If, as you say, his disciples stole his body, many others besides his disciples must have seen that body. Why has there been no such report? Why is it that yours is the only report of a stolen body? It seems that I have heard from other reports that he's alive. I wonder how they would answer that. Do you know what the bottom line of this whole thing is over these soldiers and the impossible dream? Here it is. Truth is stranger than fiction. I didn't make that up, by the way. Truth is stranger than fiction. You see, to open the Bible to Matthew 28, 6 and read, He is not here, for He is risen, as He said, is too simple. But it's the truth. Others would like to believe that He wasn't really dead. He swooned. There is the swoon theory. He swooned. He was weak. But he got strong three days after what they put him through. He was strong enough to push that big stone that took soldiers to put in place, push it out of the way and go out. Isn't that silly? It's harder to accept the truth than it is fiction. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Now, those soldiers someday are going to have to answer all those questions when they stand before this Savior in judgment. The impossible dream in your life, number two. The resurrection of Jesus was the greatest explosion ever to happen in the history of mankind. It started things that haven't stopped yet. The danger in letting events lose their power and linger among us only in formalities that do not convey the original meaning is ever with us. 
For example, the 4th of July in 1776 was a day of tremendous celebration. Firecrackers and flags and song and marching and coming together. There was a new nation formed with freedom and liberty and justice for all. But today, on the 4th of July, there's golf picnics, little swimming events. And we've lost the original thrust of the 4th of July. We ought to be marching up and down the streets, waving flags and blowing trumpets, and saying we are a free people. We have a constitution that's fair. And God has blessed America. But you see, through the years, we lose the impact of meaning. Same with Easter. To many, it becomes a day of lilies and new clothes. Almost 2,000 years ago, they thought Jesus was dead. They had said of him earlier, never man spake like this man. The multitudes crowded after him, but he was put to death. His body placed in a tomb and a great stone rolled in front of it. His followers sadly disappeared. On the first day of the week, a woman came to the garden to find the stone rolled away. Then he spoke to her and quickly vanished out of her sight. She was so excited that she ran to tell Peter and John. Then everybody started running. John, thin and fleet, ran the quickest. Peter, stocky, slow, came puffing behind and pushed into the tomb first. Then they ran to tell the other disciples. Soon everybody was running, shouting, He's alive! He's alive! He's alive! That was Easter almost 2,000 years ago. A time of great excitement. The followers of Jesus then fanned out throughout the whole world. On a single day after the resurrection, they had 3,000 converts. Easter isn't just a nice occasion with flowers, folks. It marks the greatest excitement in the history of mankind. Think of it. Life over death. Victory over defeat. Success over failure. Greatness over littleness. Purity over evil. The impossible dream. And it's for your life and my life. And we dare not let it become commonplace, ever. There are many today who are dead while alive. What is life? It is when you are full of joy, when you're excited, when there is a sense of victory, a knowledge of sins forgiven, and of immortality. If you don't feel that way, then maybe you need to be resurrected. The impossible dream and your life is what this day is all about. It can happen in you while you are sitting in this church dedicated to helping people. God is interested in your problem. He's interested in your circumstance, in your weakness, in your feelings of defeat. The impossible dream and your life is a very real part of Easter. Some of you receive the booklets from Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, as I do, and I love to read them. In one, 
was the story of a man who wrote to Dr. Peel and said, I am five years old. I was resurrected five years ago. And he told his story. Prominent real estate man in a Florida city. He said, I've been around for 51 years, but I was dead for all but the last five of them. And he went on to explain, some years ago I was making a good deal of money in the real estate business, but I started drinking. You've heard of alcoholics. Well, I couldn't stop at one or two drinks or even three. And you never heard of an alcoholic as bad as I was. He said, I lost everything, including my family and my business. I became a bum. In the city where I had once been a successful man, my former friends ignored me. I used to look up at that high bridge over the St. John's River. Somebody told me it was 200 feet from the floor of that bridge to the water. I calculated how long it would take for my body to drop from that bridge to the water and end my whole miserable existence. And I decided to go and jump from that bridge. On the way, I stopped at the club room of Alcoholics Anonymous. I guess I still had a little faint hope. I found one of your sermons lying on a table. It was called, Try God for Help. I stuck it in my pocket and shuffled on toward the bridge. Passing a park bench, I sat down and read that sermon. You said that Jesus Christ was greater than any human weakness. I thought about that and found myself saying, Jesus Christ, change me. I went back to my room, went to sleep, and slept 12 hours. When I woke up, I was free of my weakness. It was that simple. I am a resurrected person, and now five years later, I've become once again a successful businessman. Who but Jesus can do that, friend? That's the impossible dream and human life. Life in this man had sunk to a low level, but Jesus infused him with new life. He recreated him. He changed him in an instance when he said, Jesus, change me. There's where we fail. It can be like the spring when the flowers bloom and the grass grows. That which was dead is alive again. That which was lost is found. The impossible dream comes to pass in you. What has been defeating you? What has been your weakness? What has been your failing? What has been your problem? Jesus Christ can move into that weakness, move into that failure, move into that problem because he's alive and do something about it. If you'll just give him an open door and let him come in, he's waiting for you to make a move. The impossible dream and your life. And then thirdly, this day has to do with the impossible dream and eternity. Years ago when we were in Washington pastoring, we had a, blood, uh, a bus ministry. And on Saturday, people would go out and call at homes and pass out material and invite people to ride the buses. My wife was out one Saturday and she came back and said, Honey, do you know that I stopped at a house and a man came to the door and I gave him a gospel of John and he said, We don't believe in God. 
That kind of rocked my wife a bit that somebody in America could say, we don't believe in God. And I had to ask myself the question, could it really be so? As I look around today, it seems to me that everybody's looking for an answer about tomorrow. Everybody's trying to find a solution for tomorrow. Government, business, even religion, trying to find a solution for tomorrow. And people who are supposed to be devoting themselves to the proclamation of the good news are getting involved in marches having to do with detente or putting down weapons and all kinds of things except the thing that we have been called to do. And the reason is they're worried about tomorrow. So I have to ask, could it be that people would say, I don't believe in God when they're searching, groping for an answer about tomorrow. Everybody wants to be safe tomorrow. Oh, I've got good news. That's what Easter's all about, tomorrow. Because I live, you shall live also. And from John 11, at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. Believest thou this? Oh, all of a sudden, it gets simple. It has nothing to do with the arms race. It has nothing to do with Russia or China or Cuba. It has nothing to do with the economy. It has everything to do with what I believe. If you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, you will never die. All of a sudden, my tomorrows are all solved. My future is all wrapped up in the love of God and in the provision of God. He's building a mansion for me over there. Who cares what happens here? I'm going to a better world. I'm going to a better place. Now, that doesn't make us cop out on the needs of the present. We are to occupy until he comes, and we will do that. But let us never forget what our main thrust is. It's to get people to believe that they have a future. They have hope because of Easter. Sir William Osler, the great Canadian physician who trained the Mayos and trained the great American brain surgeon, Dr. Harvey Cushing, and taught for many years at John Hopkins University and later at Oxford in England, had a son who was wounded in action, the apple of his eye in the First World War. Army doctors, all students of Sir William Osler, tried their best to save the son of their old teacher, but his wound was a mortal wound. Sadly, they watched as the boy's body was lowered into the earth. It was a great blow to Osler, but he had faith. A few years later, he was seized with an illness which he himself diagnosed as fatal. On the last day of his life, he was observed writing something on a piece of paper. Later that day, they had to take it from the grip of his cold, dead fingers. And as they did, they read it, and this is what Sir William Osler had said. And so the voyage is nearly over and the harbor is in view. It has been a glorious journey with such good companions along the way. But I go gladly, for my boy will be waiting for me over there. Last thing he wrote, last thing on his mind. 
His was one of the greatest, most acute minds in the history of medicine. Subtle, perceptive, scientific. Can such a fine mind be wrong, we ask? Didn't he meet his boy over there? Jesus Christ tells us that he's preparing a place for us that where he is, we may be also. And Osler believed it, and I believe it. From the top of my head to the soles of my feet, I believe it. I feel and know he's alive. I sense it in my being. He's real, and he's with us right here in this room. He's alive. Jeffrey O'Hara, author of I Walk Today Where Jesus Walked, which Judy sang for us today, also wrote this song titled, I Tell You They Have Not Died. The lines go, I tell you they have not died. They live and breathe with you. They walk here at your side. Why dream of poppied sod when you can feel their breath, when flower and soul and God know there is no death? I tell you, they have not died. Their hands clasp yours and mine. They are but glorified. They have become divine. They live, they know, they see. They shout with every breath, all is eternal life. There is no death. It's true. Christianity differs from all the world's false religions in that it worships at a throne while others have to stop at a tomb. We go beyond the tomb to the throne. The resurrection of Christ is the distinguishing mark of Christianity. This sets it apart from all the man-made religions. False religionists stop at the tomb. Christians proceed to the throne, the very throne of God. The founders of Hinduism died and are dead today. Buddha died and is dead. Lao Tse, founder of Taoism, died and is dead. Zoroaster died and is dead. Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, Eddie Fry, founder of Christian science, so-called, died and is dead. The Fox sisters of spiritism fame died and are dead. Pastor Charles Tate Russell, founder of Russellism, died and is dead. Joseph Smith of Mormonism died and is dead. Madam Helena Petrova Blavatsky, founder of Theosophy, died and is dead. Bahu'u'llah, founder of the Baha'i movement, died and is dead. Go to the tombs of Buddha, Laozi, Confucius, Zoroaster, Muhammad, and all other founders of religion. Their bodies are moldering in the dust. But Jesus Christ died, but came forth from that grave alive forevermore and was seen of above 500 witnesses and went up in the clouds of glory to sit at the right hand of the Father where he makes now intercession for us. He's alive. He's not dead. Go to that tomb and hear the angel song echo through the confines of that garden. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Past tense. He is not here. He is risen 
as he said. No wonder we get excited when we hear death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor of the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. He's alive. The impossible dream deals with eternity. You can get all the insurance policies possible that will fit into your budget, but it won't help you a bit with eternity. But you take Jesus Christ's insurance policy, and you will be forever alive. He's not in that grave. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you believe that God raised him from the dead. Oh, my friend, if you have Jesus in your life, you are secure. It doesn't matter what happens to social security. You have eternal security in Jesus Christ. He's alive. The impossible dream deals with tomorrow. Every one of your tomorrows is alive. I don't know why it was, but this week, I can't even remember where I was or what I was doing. I know I wasn't in bed, asleep. It was during the day, and I suddenly saw myself going to the gate of heaven. And I walked through the gate. And on the other side of the gate, a familiar figure came running toward me to throw his arms around my neck to welcome me into the kingdom of heaven. See, I hadn't seen him for 39 years. It'll be 40 years next year. It was my dad. He welcomed his fifth child into the kingdom of heaven, and right behind me was the sixth, my brother Ray, who was in the choir. I tell you, it's real. They have not died. Those that we have sent on ahead, we don't sprinkle a little ash over their grave and say, It's over! Because he lives, we shall live also. The impossible dream brings us all together again. We never say goodbye for the last time when we know Jesus, the Christ of Easter. Reverend Don Muma, the pastor of the Presbyterian Church, down in the Los Angeles area where President Reagan is a member, tells of that day in March 1981 when President Reagan was shot. The pastor was in Bermuda on a sabbatical when management phoned him in his room telling him of the president's situation. He felt he should be with him and with Nancy and the children he caught a plane early the next day, spent the afternoon with Mrs. Reagan, 
and then that evening accompanied her to the hospital. As he stood at the president's bed, it was obvious to him that he was a very sick man. Tubes, he said, were going in every direction. He leaned over and said, Mr. Reagan, if this bullet had taken your life, would you have been ready to meet God? He thought for a moment and said, yes. The pastor asked then, how do you know? The president of the greatest country in the world, without equivocation, replied, because I have a Savior. That's it, folk. Do you have a Savior? I didn't ask you if you had a bank account so you could get through tomorrow. I said, do you have a Savior who will take you through eternity? Do you have a Savior? If a bullet should catch you or a car out here on the freeway or one coming out of the parking lot, <laughs> do you have a Savior? That's the question. Do you have a Savior? And do you know, as we sang this morning, he lives within your heart. That's what Easter's all about. Don't lose sight of what it is by lilies and by new clothes and by a ham dinner with all the trimmings. What really counts, if you believe the impossible dream, that it affects you now and it affects you in all of the years to come. I have a Savior. I know I have a Savior. I know He's in my heart. I know I'm ready to meet Him. And my greatest longing is that every one of you know the same. If you don't, you can in these next few moments. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to preach your word again. What a privilege to declare this truth. He's alive. The impossible dream has happened. It has come true. He's alive. Lord, come alive in every person in this building. Dear Lord Jesus, save people from their sins, from themselves. May they come into the fullness of life available in Jesus, our Lord, and touch Christians who have already come into faith, but who have been overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, may the message of Easter lift them out of their circumstances into a place of trust and obedience and victory because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you in this service do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and friend. If you should go today the way of all the earth, it would not be good. You would not be able to say, Lord, let me into your heaven. 
I want you to be saved. And all of heaven wants you to be saved. Jesus Christ loves you very, very much. If you were the only sinner on earth, he would have died just like he did for you. I'd like to pray for you because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. I would like you to raise your hand as an indication of your desire and need. I want to come to Christ today, Pastor. Would you pray for me and lift me to God? I want to know him personally and be able to say, as the president said, because I have a Savior. Would you raise your hand right now and hold it there till I see it? Then you may put it down. God bless you right here in this section toward the front to the right of the podium. Back on my right-hand side toward the back. Thank you there. Back to the left way over there. Sir, I see your hand right here. God bless you. Yes, back there toward the back under the balcony down here in front. I see these hands in both of these sections. God bless you. Up in the balcony, I'm looking for a moment. Hands up there. Raise them up. Let me see them. Let me pray for you. Back here in the center section on the lower floor, I see two hands at least. Others, raise them up, and then you may slip them back down. I'm coming to Jesus today. I need Jesus today. I want to be saved today. I want to know what it is to have eternal life. Thank you. Over to my right, another. God bless you over there. Praise God for this response. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, come to these. Come in strength. Come in love. Come in forgiveness. Blot out their iniquity. Become their Savior this very moment, we pray. May they know they've passed from death unto life, and Christ is real. Now, with our heads still bowed, except those who raised their hands, I want them to look this way. To each of you who raised your hand, I would like to ask you to stand and move to the aisle. There is something powerful about making a public stand. I want to give you some material, and I want to pray with you right here at the front. I want you to stand and slip down here to this altar and stand with me for just a few moments before we go home. Would you do it now? The people in your row will not mind if you slip by them out into the aisle. Just come now. Our staff will be here to stand with you and wait for you. Sir, don't put it off another day. Come now. Ma'am, don't wait another day. Come now. Young person, don't wait another day. Jesus went to a cross and died for you, lifting his hands to be nailed there for you. Would you take a public stand for him in this service today? Wherever you are, just start coming. The angels in heaven rejoice. The angels in heaven are singing at this scene as you come and publicly say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I receive him publicly as my Savior and as my Lord. God bless each of you who are here. It is so exciting to see you here. Others still come. Don't hesitate a moment. We'll wait just a moment for you before we close. There's nothing more important we can do today than this. So come on from wherever you are. We'll wait just a moment. And then we're going to pray with you. This whole church is going to pray with you. God bless this one coming from up in the balcony and another from up there. Praise God forever. What a beautiful sight it is.
All right, church, let's all rise and stand together for just a moment as we pray for these dear friends. I'd like you to extend your hand toward them, if you will, and assure them of your prayers now by lifting that hand toward the altar as we pray. Father, thank you for each man and woman standing here at this altar today, confessing faith in Jesus Christ. Come into their hearts. Erase any question. You died for them. Every sin is now under the blood by faith. Now let us all say this prayer out loud together, everyone at the altar end back in the pew. Dear Lord Jesus, I receive you now as my Lord and personal Savior. Wash my sins away. In your precious blood, I receive you now as my Lord and Master. I will live for you from this day forward. As I receive you, I know that you receive me, and I thank you for that. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Now, friends, standing here at the front, I want you to turn around and just look at this great body of people because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want you to welcome these new members into the family of God today. Would you do that? Praise God. Hallelujah. I pray you will remember this moment the rest of your life Next Sunday night is water baptism. Get involved in water baptism as a public witness. Receive the material from those who have come to help you today, and may God bless it to you from this day onward. Praise the Lord. Now sing with me, won't you? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless and go with you. Take the joy of this news. He's alive with you today, and live it out every day. God bless you all, is my prayer.